Hey friends here, please open your Bibles there. Psalm 72 is what we're looking at today. Oh, Kieran, I've got a glass of water just there. Good on you. Psalm 72. Uh, you'll probably see on the little notes that I've given you that there's something missing. I wonder who can, who can work out, the fir- who's the first to work out what I've left out? There's a pattern that doesn't find an end. You notice that what's missing after... Bl- hey? No? Yeah, well done. Uh, the verses for the last point. Uh, fortunately, it's not very hard to work out what they are. They're the last verses in the psalm. That's given you enough time, hasn't it, to laugh at me and also find the right place. Psalm 72 of Solomon. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people. In the hills, the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. He will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the distant shore of the distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the fields. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Friends, the nation of Israel in ancient times was remarkable in many ways. 
Oh, not like the other ancient empires, not like Egypt, not like Greece, not like Rome, not great and powerful, but a small and insignificant nation, really. Not marking history with scholars or generals or empire or art. What left its mark in world history was Israel's hope. The Bible records that this nation had a God-given purpose beyond any other nation. And when they were at their best, they remembered it. Their hope was not based on their own excellence. Their hope was based on the promises of God to them. First given to Abraham around about 2000 BC, recorded in verses like Genesis 18, verse 18, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him. Much later to King David, God said through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7.16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And down the centuries, these promises led to a confident expectation of a day when this would be as it was promised. Even through division, through defeat, through exile, the faithful ones of Israel held on to this hope based upon God's promises, believing in God's faithfulness. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ was in that nation in the context of those expectations, in the context of that hope, the gospel, the good news that Jesus of Nazareth is God's chosen king. By his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, he has begun to reign and he will return finally to establish his rule over all. Jesus called this the kingdom of God, and he came to it through the cross. And God now calls people, not just from Israel, but from all nations into the blessings of his kingdom. And he does that through the gospel message. Friends, this morning we come to Psalm 72. This psalm, you will see, as you've got it in front of you there, closes book two of the psalms. You'll see in your Bibles there, before Psalm 73, it says book three. Psalms is divided into five books. And the first two are very much focused on David, King David's life. And Psalm 2 seems to be the very last one David ever composed. And you see a reference to that in verse 20. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Of course, there are other psalms by David in books 3 and 4 and 5, but this one was the very last one he wrote. It might even have been one he wrote on his deathbed. And the superscription, the title of it, tells us the subject and the focus of this psalm. Do you see it there? Of Solomon. But we're going to see that this is much more than just a prayer for his son Solomon. This is a prayer that reflects the expectations of David and of all the people of Israel based upon the promises of God. 
It's a prayer that was not answered in the reign of Solomon. But it was answered in the coming of Jesus and in his reign. And we're going to see that Psalm 72 finishes with an echo of Psalm 2 at the beginning of the Psalms that set our expectations about what God's king was going to be like. And we're going to see more of the staggering wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the king. That's where we're going today in this one psalm, Psalm 72. Look at how it begins. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. Do you see that the big idea here is that this king, this promised king, this king for whom David prays, the king he hopes his son Solomon will be, his reign will be characterised by being righteous. Isn't verse 1 an interesting way to begin? Give the king justice and your righteousness to the royal son. Not just hoping for a king who is himself just and right, but who has God's justice and God's righteousness, who is perfect, who is pure. Even David and Solomon and all the other kings of Israel, they were a long way from being perfectly righteous. Actually, among all the kings of Israel, injustice and unrighteousness were heartbreakingly common, indistinguishable at many times from the rest of the nations of the earth, indistinguishable from kings of nations who had never received the promises of God. I mean, David himself murdered Uriah the Hittite to cover up his adultery. That's a long way from just and righteous, isn't it? And as he comes to the end of his life, David is praying here that his son will be a better king than he was, a just and righteous king, having God's justice and God's righteousness. Solomon had his share, however, of injustice in his reign, so that when Solomon died, some even refused to accept his son as their king, and the nation of Israel split in two. But David's hope was that one day there would be a perfectly just, a perfectly righteous king. And what would this king do? Verse 2. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, the poor with peace. Not just a right ruler who is simply personally just and personally right, but one who enacts justice. One who actually puts things right. Who acts and decides perfectly and properly, who manages grievances with honesty, who properly and perfectly corrects injustice. And Israel's hope was for a righteous king who would bring justice. And as conflict rages in modern Israel, don't we long for justice? And not just for justice, but for justice to be brought with righteousness so that no wrong is done as the justice is brought. Don't we long for that? I find myself torn as I watch what is happening there and in many places in the world, even locally, 
whether it's in courts of justice or in the streets just outside. I want justice done. I want it to be seen to be done. But I also want to see justice done without a, a trace of vengeance or greed. I, want, I even want something better than an eye for an eye. But that's easier said than done in this world, isn't it? Just King David longed for a king who'd put things right. A king under whom there would be no more wrong. Can't you join him in that desire? Verses 3 to 7 predict with confidence the good life that will come under that king. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. The word for prosperity there is the word shalom, peace, well-being, wholeness, things put right. When goodness is in charge, the people prosper. Oppressors are crushed. The oppressed are set free and the righteous flourish. Quite a dream, isn't it? I'm sure you have dreams of peace and prosperity, but this is a peace and prosperity that are a fruit of righteousness. That's the confident expectation of those people long ago who had received the promises of God. Friends, do you understand and realise that in Jesus, in whose name we are meeting today, that he is a king just like that. The New Testament describes him as the righteous one. Perfectly righteous, completely good. The righteousness of God himself is revealed in him and in the news about him. Coming to Jesus' kingdom is to come to a kingdom of righteousness. Oh, we see it in little hints now, in the way that we Christians treat each other, the way that we behave towards each other. We get little hints of that. But one day it will be completely revealed when Jesus returns. That's actually what we're spending our time doing in the next four weeks, in this period of time commonly called Advent. It is having us remember that Jesus will return. What kind of king will return? Well, the one prayed for in this psalm. What is the scope of his reign? Verses 8 to 11. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him with gifts. All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. It's not a small prayer, is it? David mentions the furthest reaches of his knowledge of the world. David asks for a king who will rule to the ends of the earth. And there will and all will submit to his rule. They'll either be glad and willing in their submission, or, the second half of verse 9, his enemies will lick the dust. 
Or, verse 11, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Well, friends, our attempts our ex- and our experience and the history of attempts to rule the world in that kind of a way in the last even 100 years have not been positive, have they? I'm listening to a podcast at the moment about some of those people who tried to rule the world. People like Stalin and Mao and Kim Jong-il and Pol Pot and Hitler and Papa Doc and General Tito and Franco and Gaddafi and Idi Amin and Mugabe and Hussein. It's striking how often all of these historians and journalists I'm listening to in this podcast, I think all of them atheists, how often they refer to these people as evil. Our experience of people trying to rule the world has not been good. But this king in Psalm 72 is not like that. Ruling not only Israel but all things and doing it with peace and justice and rightness. It's not only a dream. No, it was this people's confident expectation that one day it would happen because God promised it. And that is what is shaping David's prayer for his son. (coughs) And as Jesus is born, a messenger from God speaks to shepherds saying, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And listen to the the words that... uh, uh, that describe what this child who was born in a, and put in a feeding trough and he, who grew up to die on a cross and then he rose and then what did he say to his disciples? Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In John's account of Jesus' life in chapter 13, We read, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Paul writes these things of God's plan in Ephesians chapter 1. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed Jesus to be the head over everything. In Colossians we read, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the head over every power and authority. And in Philippians, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see in Jesus, Paul sees the one who David prayed for in Psalm 72, before whom every knee would bow. Do you realise, dear friends, that the king that David prayed for has begun his reign.
What kind of reign? What is the character of this king's reign? Verse 12. From the great scope of his reign, David moves into the third section. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. To the powerful in the world, life is so often cheap. Stalin regarded the lives of those millions who died to be nothing a meaningless consequence of history's march that he was leading. But that's not like the king that David hopes for. The focus in this section is so different to the great powers and the powerful ones of world history because this one sees the needs of the lonely and the lowly. They are, they are his interest in a way that the other rulers of the world ignore. The oppressed are so often oppressed because their ruler is their oppressor. The friends and supporters of the oppressor, they benefit. But those on the outside, their lives are characterised by suffering. But this king, this king who is God's king, he will deliver the needy what they need. Those who the world forgets, he remembers, and they are the object of his compassionate reign. He will rescue victims of violence. Friends, can you think what it must have been like to have had those expectations of a king passed down to you, having read this psalm of David? year after year, being part of a people looking forward to a king, but realising that you were actually one of the poor because you had rebelled against God. You were one of the oppressed and you were longing for a king one day and then you go to a place where a man is speaking on a mountain and he opens his mouth and he starts saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When Jesus stood on that mountain and started that sermon, he was announcing the kingdom of heaven has come. Because he is the king. The king has come for the needy, for the sick, for sinners. Or not for the self-sufficient, not for the powerful. No, this is the one who is the compassionate king. The fourth section of David's prayer looks forward to the blessing that this king will one day bring. Verse 15. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray to him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let it 
fruit, let its fruit flourish like Lebanon, let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. What a king. Held in such regard that tributes from every king would gladly come to him. Gold from Sheba, prayers, blessings, that is thankfulness to him. With that kind of king, verse 16 returns to the idea of prosperity, of shalom. And in verse 17, we have one of the most explicit mentions of the promises that God made to Abraham 1,000 years before David wrote this psalm. But David remembers it. God's promise of a name, of a nation, and of blessing going to all nations. Verse 17 again, may his name endure forever. And may it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Friends, what a wonder. A wonder that Jesus has more than fulfilled. As the gospel of Jesus Christ has been and is being taken throughout the whole world, the blessings of God's kingdom brought to the ends of the earth. This prayer, prayed a thousand years before Jesus was born, has been and is fulfilled and is being fulfilled in our experience. Friends, each of these books of the Psalms, book 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5, ends with an expression of praise. And so verses 18 and 19 are probably the conclusion of the section and not just this particular psalm, but they fit this psalm perfectly. They're a good response to hearing this psalm, responding to God's king and to God's king's reign, responding to the truth that Jesus is this king. We could not do better than this response. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. It is true. It is true.